Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, we're starting my new favorite series today, and it's called I Am. And that's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? I am what, right? So seven times Jesus says in the book of John, it's one of the gospels, we'll talk about that in a second. Seven different times he says, I am. Uh, And it's amazing to me as he's kind of breaking this down. I've got to imagine that his listeners, remember, you always have to think about who his audience is. And his audience in this particular moment are Jewish people. And so he says, I am. So he says, uh, and we'll talk about the seven in a second, but I am. And right away, they've got to go back to the book of Exodus, right? They've got to go because the listeners had heard their grandfathers and their great grandfathers and talk about this moment that Moses had at, you know, at Sinai when he's sitting up there in front of the burning bush and he's getting the Ten Commandments. And Moses asked a very legitimate question. Who should I say is sending me? And at that particular moment, God answered in a voice and said, just tell him I am sending you. I'm like, what? I am who? And he's going like, so for generations, they've been thinking about who is this I am? Well, Jesus comes on the scene and he actually describes in these seven things, some of the characteristics of God. As a matter of fact, today, as we break the first one down, what we see in these I am statements, every one of them demonstrates something that God is. And so today is the I am the bread. But I want you to think about the statement for a a quick second. When Jesus makes these statements, these bold truths in John, and he says, I am, you've got to believe there's a little, there's a little confusion or maybe even a little frustration. Because right away that they knew the God of Israel, right? The I am. Now he's saying that he is, or I am. And, and, and literally when he's on the cross or getting ready to go on the cross, uh, Pontius Pilate says, who, who are you? And, and are you Christ, the son of the living God? And he goes, I am who you say I am. And they've got to be going, oh, because it wasn't the teachings of Jesus that frustrated people. Do you all know that? I mean, Jesus was a great libertarian. Jesus was, was for equality. Jesus was for making sure that people that had needs, uh, their needs were met and making sure that it was distributed throughout the culture. He was, he was for people. It was, it wasn't those teachings that bothered people. It was the teachings that he was God. It was the teachings when he said, I am just like, like one of them once, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father. And they're going, no, 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 no. Well, there's only one. So it wasn't. And you know what made me think about? And just think about this. We're in 2022. There's a lot of people that are very enlightened in this room and watching online and maybe over. Um, in 2022, I don't think it's the teachings of Jesus that bother people. I think the teachings of Jesus ring true today, just like they rang true 20, you know, uh, 2000 years ago. I think people want to feel equal. I, th- I think people want to feel valued. I, th- I feel like we should put those things in place. I think it's unfair. Social injustice drives me crazy. I can't believe some of the things that happen in our world that, that as believers, that sometimes we just stand by and let happen. So it's not the teachings, but what happens in our society. And, and I'm telling you, you broadcast this anywhere else other than church and people go, Oh my gosh. I can't believe he's, he's, he's intrusive or he's, it's when we start saying that we believe that Jesus is God. That's when people kind of go, go ballistic, isn't it? It's not the teachings. It's not, it's not the teachings that, that Christ taught here. It's the, it's the fact that we equate Jesus Christ with being the father. And we equate that Jesus Christ is the only way a person can get to heaven. That's when everything starts to go south. And so that's one of the things we see in these I am statements. Another thing we see in the I am statements, just kind of a background, we see that these are all metaphors. Now, 
metaphors are stories. And Jesus used a lot of stories to tell. And that's why one of the things that preachers, preachers tell a lot of stories because people relate to stories. My, 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 my oldest daughter said to me a couple of weeks ago, she goes, dad, at your funeral, it's going to be nothing but stories. People are going to stand up and tell nothing because it's, I was like, okay. I don't know if you like, like how many people read? I mean, I don't mean you know how to read. I mean, you actually read. Like, so like, I like reading stuff like C.S. Lewis and uh, Tolkien. I like reading books that there's metaphors. And one of the things that drives me nuts about some of those books, though, you almost have to kind of come to your own conclusion what they're talking about a lot of times. You ever get to that metaphor is about this and like nine different people see it. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus spoke in metaphors, but then he clearly defined what the metaphors were. He said, this is what I mean by this. And so it's important as we're looking at these I am statements that we get that. And also with that, we realize and find out something that happens that just about every one of the I am statements is on the back end of a miracle. And so he, he does this miracle, and then all of a sudden, there's this I am. And he, he equates the two. And there's no question when you see these happen that you have to know that God's involved in these things. And, and, and so let me just give you the I am statements, and, and then we'll talk about the first one today. And I'm going to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. I know it's a kind of a weird, weird idea to bring a Bible to church, but we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture, and we're going to be kind of underlining. And I'm going to talk about taking notes, and this is stuff that's really, 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 really good. And as a matter of fact, we have two different um, things going on, um, or, or you can actually, there's actually a third, third one. We have uh, uh, several books in our resource center that are based on this series, not that I wrote, that somebody else wrote, but it, they're I am's. And so we're actually doing them in our access groups on Tuesday morning and Tuesday evening. So you can get uh, get involved in that and you can go a little bit deeper in those IMs. And as a matter of fact, just the, the student ministry at this very moment is actually doing the IM statements now. There are a couple of weeks ahead of us. They're already at, I think, I am the door. So uh, it's kind of interesting seeing the synergy in our church right now that we're all going the same direction. And this is going to lead us into Easter, which I think in you know, Holy Week, which is going to be an amazing little concept here. So uh, so here's the IMs. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 35, today we're going to look at I am the bread of life. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 12, we see I am the light of the world. Uh, and it's interesting that he says, I am the light, not a light. A lot of people think there's multiple ways, uh, multiple directions. Mobile, uh, we can get to God. And he says, you know, there is one. And uh, chapter 10, verse 7, he says, I am the door, meaning that I'm the only way. I'm the good shepherd, uh, which is going to flow through, uh, I think, Psalms 23. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So that's pretty interesting right there. The resurrection in the life in John chapter 11, verse 25. Uh, the way, truth, and life. I think this is where we're going to land on Easter Sunday. So it's going to be good to uh, go through that. That's in chapter 14, verse 6. And then I am the true vine. We'll end up the series in that one. That's the seventh one in John chapter 15 verse 1. So if you have a Bible, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to John chapter 6, 35. This is where, this is where he makes the first I am statement. He makes a big bold statement right here. And I want, I'm going to give you the kind of the heads. I don't want to uh, like, I don't want to just like share the story and, and, and kind of ruin, ruin everything. But this is on the back end of one of the greatest miracles that's ever taken place. Uh, and it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So that's important because remember I said metaphors and he explains them. He literally is going to explain this metaphor in this passage of scripture. So he gives them bread and fish, and now he's going to say this bold statement. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he says this, and then this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all, 
that he has given me, but raise it up in the, on the last day. For this is of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So a lot of that from verse uh, 37 down is a lot, a lot of information. We're going to kind of 35. I am the bread of life. The moment Jesus says that, remember I said audience is important? The moment that Jesus says that, the bread of life, Everybody that's listening to him in that particular moment goes, okay, hold on a second. We've heard about bread from the very beginning. Because if you know anything about scripture, and if you don't, it's great. I'm going to fill in, I'm going to backfill it for us. But but way back 6,000 years ago, the nation of Israel, right, was wandering through the wilderness and they didn't bring any food with them. So they get on the other side and are, you know, waiting for the promised land and are navigating through all this. Well, they didn't have any food. And so God starts to pour out this stuff called manna. It was a bread from heaven. Literally, that's what manna means, bread from heaven. So he started pouring it out. So he poured out in the morning. And by, by the end of the day, if they didn't eat it all, they had to destroy it. And the next morning, what would happen? God would bring them more manna. Now, it's interesting to me, just like church people, they start to complain what God's giving them. Right? God's giving them something every day, sustenance every day, every day. They wake up the next day, they get out of their tents, you know, they, they, they do their business, they're doing their brushing their teeth, and there's, there's breakfast right there for them. But after a while, they start complaining. So during their complaining, right, what happens? They start to complain, and God says, okay, I'll give you a little bit more. And God gives them quail. So they're now eating manna and quail. I'm thinking it's like a Chick-fil-A sandwich right there. It's like perfect. The only thing it's missing is a little mayo and some pickles, and we're good to go, right? And what do they do? Just like great church people, they start complaining again. And so God says, you know something? I've had it with you. I'm going to kill you. No, he didn't kill them all. But it's one of those deals where, so each day for 40, it was 40 years in exile, each day God gave them this thing called bread. So the listeners, and when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, like you're like, I'm the bread of life. They're going, oh my God, we remember this. Like we saw this happen. It was such an important historical event in Jewish culture that every year at Passover, they celebrated with bread, Passover bread. They, they celebrating to celebrate what God had done over here. And so it's one of those deals that they're, they're thinking. And then Jesus says this in that, that big, bold statement, that big, I am the bread of life. He said, you understand what bread is. You need it every day to live, right? Like you need bread. You need some type of sustenance. That's, that's something that's going to make you, make you strong and build muscles and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to give you bread that's going to be different. And I'm going to fulfill and I'm going to give you sustenance and I'm going to feed the spirit person inside of you. And as a matter of fact, once you eat the bread that I have to offer, you'll never want any other bread again. And once you drink the, 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 the water that I have to offer, you'll never want anything else again. So he makes these big, bold statements. And like I said, when he says, I am the bread, he is equating himself at this point with the Old Testament God that Moses meant. I am. And literally, I, meant, I am means this. I am everything. I am everything. I'm everything that you can dream of. I'm, I, 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 I started this place. I was, I am, and I, I will be. I am everything that happens. And so 2,000 years later, he's, he's, they're, they're hearing this. Uh, we're hearing this. And, 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 and you know what's the thought that's in my mind right now? It's just like they were starving for spiritual food. Man, our society is starving for spiritual food, aren't they? And it's amazing because so many times in our lives, we look at so many different avenues to fulfill our spiritual, our spiritual well-being. And we're trying things like, and I love the way C.S. Lewis says this in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling 
about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joys offered to us. And maybe those aren't your big three, but I'll guarantee you, if you sat down for any length of time and just did self, a self-awareness check, if you just checked on yourself, that thing would rise. Whatever that thing that draws you away from God or draws you away from the true bread, it would pop up pretty quick. When we, whether it's hobbies or a bad relationship or it's a career, or whatever it is, it would pop up pretty quick. So thousands, 2,000 years after this was spoken to a, to a starved generation, we're sitting in the same place with a starved generation, chasing down all kinds of other different things. So what, what does that look like for us? And, and I want you to hear this because this is kind of the, the preface for the whole series right here. There is lots of people that came in the name of God or claim to be God before Jesus came. And honestly, we've seen it in our society after they claim to be God, but Jesus is the only one that demonstrated it. So all through his life, he not only said, I am, he demonstrated, I am. So today, what I'd like to do is I want to go to that, that story just before the story, just before that big statement that he makes. Uh, and, and I want to kind of backfill the story. So how many people, how many people were raised in church? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, let me do it this way. That's really hard because how many people weren't raised in church? So, okay, good. We're on the same sheet of music. So here's the deal. We've probably all read this story before at some point or somebody like you were in Sunday school class and your teacher brought the felt board out. Anybody remember the felt board? So how many people remember the felt board? So I don't have a felt board. I didn't have the, I didn't have, like, I wasn't like you. I never went to church. So I don't know what even a felt board, I was going to bring a felt board. Nobody knows what a felt board, like, is there even such thing as a felt board anymore? There is. So maybe next week I'll pull the felt board out. But it was like, so this is what I'd like to do. Because I have a feeling in here, sometimes we, we hear these familiar stories, these, these stories about miracles, and we go, oh, I've heard that one. I love, I love what Justin says. I love what Caleb says. I love when a service host gets up here and says, we're going to pray together today. We're going to sing together today. We're going to give together today, and we're going to learn together. So today, what I'd like to do is I would like to level the whole playing field and go, okay, let's hear this story from a different angle and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Some of us have only been hearing this story for a short period of time. Some of us have been hearing it all our lives. But I believe today God wants to pull out three truths that most of us have never heard and packaged in this way. So we can all get on the same sheet of music today, right? The level, can we do that? Okay, so this is what I want to do. I, I want everybody to understand. Let's backfill the story. The story is unique because it's found in all four of the Gospels. It's the only miracle that's found in all four of the Gospels. So if we don't know what the God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the Gospels, okay? Three of them are similar. Matthew, Mark, Luke are similar. They're called synoptic Gospels, meaning they say basically the same thing and going the same direction. The book of John is not. John is a rebel in the scriptures, okay? You know he's a rebel the way he starts his book. He goes that this is the book of John, the one who Jesus loved, like he didn't love anybody else. And so John writes differently than everybody else, and he tells it from a different angle. So when he says this, and when he says that, you know, I'm the bread, and he, the story above that is the feeding of the 5,000, we need to understand it's all for the Gospels. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at the Matthew version of, of it because I just, I think it goes into better detail. Okay, so Jesus is after he hears the death of John the Baptist. Y'all remember John the Baptist? John's the one dressed in wild clothes. He was eating honey and locusts. That sounds like a great meal. Um, and so he's out there eating out, that kind of stuff. Jesus gets on a boat and he goes on the boat. He's saddened by the loss of his cousin and, and his friend in ministry. He's saddened by that. So he goes off the whole crowd. Now, when we read this story, we, we've heard it, like if you've been to church, the feeding of the 5,000. The truth of the matter is it's more than that. 
It's 5,000 men, as you'll read, we'll read together, 5,000 men and then women and, and children weren't counted back then. Bad time period, okay? Like, we, we should count everybody, right? And so, but they didn't count them back then. So these 5,000 plus, say, let's say 10,000, 10,000 people follow Jesus to where he's going, and he's trying to get, you know, a little chill time. He's, he's, he's hurt. He, he lost his best friend, and they're following him. His disciples, his closest buddies, think about this, the ones that he's going to leave the Great Commission with, this is what he's leaving the kingdom in their hands. They said, you know something, Jesus, we don't have enough food, just enough for us. Let's send them all away. Yay. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus would want to do? Send them away. Catch your own food. So he said, he said, no, 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 you can't do that. So they gather up a little bit of food. Then and, and They're carrying with them in their travels five five. Five loaves and two fish, okay? One loaf is about enough to feed three people. And so they have enough to feed, you know, 15, 20 people, right? And then they distribute the food. He prays over, they distribute the food, and it comes back. And the scripture tells us there's 12, there's 12 baskets left over. Now, I don't know about you guys. I was not really good at math. But I don't know how you hand out five loaves and get 12, 12 back, back. Like, how does that work? And so, unless, unless he was, in fact, I am. Here's what I want us to get. This very first thing. He is and will always be a God of compassion. See, one of the characteristics we see in this story is that the characteristic of God, that God loves us and cares about us so much, it comes out in this story. Now, Matthew, I want you to open up Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible, I'm put your finger right there because we're going to land right here the rest of the day. Matthew chapter 14, 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had, what's that next word? Compassion. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, I want you to just kind of keep your finger right there. We'll redress it. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day now is over. Send the crowds away and go to the villages and buy for uh, food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. I love that line that he had compassion. I, I love what it stands for. Like the word compassion is more than just, just uh, describing an action that we do for him. It's a feeling deep down in your soul. It's a feeling. As a matter of fact, the Greek word, which I'm going to butcher the Greek word, is splachinosomia. How's that? Pretty good? I said it with great confidence. That means that's right. Okay? So, so but it, it, this is what it means. It, it, literally mean, it, it literally means moved in one's heart and one's emotions. So Jesus had compassion. We see it in one of the greatest stories. We're going to look at it when it's, uh, I'm the resurrection and the life. When Jesus came up and Martha and Mary were weeping because their, their husband, uh, their brother Lazarus was dead. And we, we, Jesus wept. He was, he was with great, as he's sitting in front of the tomb, he had great compassion on what, uh, and sorrow and, 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 and understanding what, what Martha and Mary were going through. So it's one of those moments where we have, and I'm going to say it this way. We serve a God of compassion. Even though the world doesn't think we say it, even though the world doesn't think that that's what we have, that's what it is. I, I love this. And, 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 and he had, and, and it's so important that we understand. Matthew is saying that we have, that, that, that Jesus had compassion. And this was not your normal church group. Do, do you realize that these people, that when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, they had all disowned him and he knew that. 
He knew that they were not going to be there at the cross. He knew that most of these guys were just, as a matter of fact, John MacArthur says it this way. They were shallow-centered thrill seekers. They were groupies. And as soon as the next Jesus came along, they would all go with him. And Jesus still did the miracle. Even though Jesus knew he would be rejected by by these people right here, he provided an enduring sustenance. He, he, He provided everything that they need for hunger and their thirst. He did it because he's a God of compassion. See, today, I want you to know this. I don't, I, whether you're online, you're down at Sherwood, if you're sitting in this campus, I want you to know something today. God understands your hurts. God understands exactly what you're going through. Every pain that you're going through, every problem that you have, every situation, every addiction, every, every struggle, whatever it looks like, he understands because he's a God of compassion. See, somehow or another, it's been lost in translation that the world thinks that this God that we serve is this God just waiting for us to screw up and he's going to squash us like we squash a bug. That's not the God. So I heard a story years ago. It was about a guy that needed a loan. And so he goes into the bank. Now, I don't know how many people have ever had to go into the bank. It's a little intimidating when you're going for a loan, like house loan, and there's lots of papers. Well, the guy goes into the, and he looks at, he looks at the banker. And, and, and he says, like, I need a loan, and I need a pretty big one. I need a couple million dollars. And the guy says, no, no, it's not going to happen. He said, you don't have, you know, you, there's, you have no way to pay it all back. There's no way. And he goes, is there anything I can do? And the guy says, hey, I got an idea. If I got a little, I got, I'll make you a deal. He said, I want you to look at me in the eye. And he says, look at me right here. And he says, what I have is I have a glass eye in one, and I have a real eye in the other. And he says, if you can figure out which one my real eye is, I'll tell you what, I'll do the loan for you. So he looks at him, he looks at him real, like real, like real, like staring into him. He goes, okay, I got it. I figured it out. He goes, there's no way you got it. He said, no, 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 I got it. Your right eye is the real eye. He goes, how did you know that? I have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on an eye, a glass eye that would resemble exactly the real eye. Even the doctors couldn't tell the difference. He goes, when I looked at your eye, your right eye, there was a hint of compassion in it. See, some of us think that we have a God that doesn't love us and doesn't care about us. But the truth of the matter is, it's not just one eye. There's a hint of compassion in both of his eyes. That's why the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were far from God, he still died on the cross for us because he's a God of compassion. I don't know what God you've conjured up in your mind, but I can tell you the God of the Bible, the God that demonstrated this amazing miracle with the feeding of the 5,000 plus is a God that loves you and cares about you. A God that, that wants to see your best. And when you hurt, let me tell you this, when you hurt, he hurts with you. He, he's not a God. So, he hurts with you even when you're the one that messed it up. Even when you're the one that screwed up. Now, I know some of us are in this room and we're in life situation because somebody else screwed up. But there's lots of times in our lives that I'm the one that screwed up. I'm the one that messed up and I am in the position I am right now and I can't blame anybody else. It's me and God still loves you. I watched this happen. I watched this play out and I really watched and kind of, I kind of even kind of in my framework of my mind, even changed my view of what God was like. During COVID, one of the things that we've seen is we've seen, and I've heard this said, the first year of COVID, everybody, everybody knew of somebody that had COVID. The second year of COVID, everybody had somebody close to them that had COVID. And they were generally talking about dying. Um, last year, and I told some of y'all this uh, uh, several months ago, I had a friend of mine, a guy that comes to church. I actually baptized him, a good, just, a good, just a good friend of mine. 
um, die of, uh, during COVID. And he was in a, a coma for a while. Well, after I found out he died, I called, I called his mother. And I, I was talking to, her, talking to her, and I ended up talking to the mother-in-law. And she's a sweet lady, and just lots of resentment and bitterness, just what happened. And one of the things that she said to me was, he knew better. Like he knew better. Like he, he was just hard-headed. And if he would have just taken care of himself and if he went to the doctor, when he, you know, we, none of this would happen. He, he deserved what he, and he, she didn't mean it, but it was just anger and bitterness and frustration. He deserved what he got. And, and I thought, no, that, that's not compassion. That, that, that's not compassion. And so many people think that that's the way God is. I'm thankful I don't get what I deserve to get. Like, can I be honest? According to the script, I had a great conversation with a young man two weeks ago and actually led him to Jesus after this statement. It's not because I'm real smart. It's just because I I just listen sometimes. But he said, your God that you keep talking about is not a loving God. I'm like, yes, he is. Now prove to me he's a loving God. If he was a loving God, why would he send people to hell? I'm a timeout, bro. He's not sending people to hell. People are sending people to hell. I'm going, I'm taking myself to hell. By birth and by choice, I'm a mess up. The loving, compassionate God that we serve actually set a mediator in our place so we don't have to go to hell. The choice is ours whether we want to go to hell or not. It's not up to him. And so many times we think that that's the God. No, that's not the God. He's nothing like that. Jesus, listen to me, please. I just did the Pentecostal hop there. Jesus knew that every one of these people were going to leave him. And he still performed a great miracle because he knew it would draw some eventually to him. Here's the second thing. He is and always will be a God of the miraculous. Can I ask you, just we're learning together. Anybody in the room ever witnessed a miracle? Raise your hand if you have. So a lot of us. I pray for miracles. Um, I, I've seen a couple. I think I've seen a couple. There's probably a lot that happened that I don't recognize. Is that fair to say? There's some that happen like, like, you know, the miracle of starting journey and what happened and how it like, that's, that's a miracle, right? That's favor of God. But so 27 years ago, I saw probably the only, what I would say was, oh my gosh, it was God. And we're sitting there in a hospital room and we were about to give, well, actually Gina was about to give birth. I was sitting there being a cheerleader. (laughs) Come on. And so I'm sitting there and um, we're we're a few minutes away, we think, from delivering. And I watched the heartbeat go like that. Now, up to that point, it was, you know, everything. But all of a sudden, and if you don't know my story, it's fine. We lost our first child, early on, but I mean, it's a loss nonetheless. And I remember going, no, I prayed just a real simple prayer. And it was, it went something like, please, Lord, not again. Okay. A fair prayer, not the most eloquent prayer, kind of like in John four, I think it was where Peter said, don't you even care that we die? And so I prayed that prayer and it's the only time I, like, I really, like, literally, I, I opened my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, I heard the beeping, and, and this, and I just went, oh, my gosh. For some reason, in our world that we live in, we don't think that God's still a God of miracles. He's been performing miracles for 2,000 years. 
And he hasn't stopped just because we have a president that we don't like, or just because gas prices are high, or just because there's a war over in Ukraine. He hasn't stopped performing miracles. He's still a God of miracles. We've just got to recognize, and I believe one of the reasons we don't see miracles happen is we don't pray for miracles. We don't pray for the miraculous. We don't pray for God to do what he's, he is in still the miracle business. Listen to what it says in verse 19. It says, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking five loaves. Remember, we're learning this differently than we've ever looked at it before. He took the, the, the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. 20, verse 20 says, and then they all ate and they were satisfied, which is in and of itself at church impossible to do that they're all satisfied. And he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Now, if you ever do any study, I would encourage you to study on this, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to find a lot of different viewpoints because there's lots of theologians that feel like this was an unnecessary miracle. They feel like there was no real purpose to it. The gospel wasn't preached. Nobody came closer to Christ. So it was unnecessary. And I'm saying this, if you've ever been to a church event and they run out of food, it's pretty necessary. One of the biggest fails we've had at our church, I hate to even admit it, was a couple years ago, we had a men's ministry breakfast and we ran out of breakfast. We lost half the church that day. Some people feel like it was also staged. Some people feel like they had the food there and they were just gathering it. Some people think that they used the young boy that was gathering the food up as kind of a make them feel guilty for not, or some even say that the disciples went to another town. I don't think it was crowd manipulation at all. I think it was a miracle. And the God that I serve, the God that you serve, is still in the business of performing amazing, amazing miracles. Now, I want you to know, I want you to know that in deep in this story, there's a truth that very few people get. Do you remember what they had in the basket? That's important. So many of us walk around life feeling we have nothing in our basket. And instead of just looking at the basket and going, we have something in there, it may not be much, and God can take what's in that basket and do something miraculous with it. We complain that there's nothing. What if we looked at our basket and realized that every one of us in this room has something in our basket? It may be five and two, but there's something in our basket. Let me, let me explain it this way. I had a couple that I was doing some counseling with several years ago, and this is what I said to them. I said, tell me, this is what they told me. We are hanging on by a thread, a thread. I said, okay, so there's hope, right? There's hope. You got a thread. You're still hanging on. You haven't given up yet. It's a, it's a thread. So they, I said, what is it that you guys like to do? What, 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 what jacks you got? Like what, what really like the thing? They said, well, we used to like to go to dinner and a movie. And I said, well, why don't you go to a dinner tonight? And I literally pulled out of my wallet. I gave them the money. It was, I don't know, 30 bucks. It was years ago. It was cheap. And I was saying Chick-fil-A, not like nice dinner. I said, I said, take it. And he, this is what he said to me. He said, do you really feel like just a dinner and a movie is going to change my marriage? And I said, five loaves and two fish changed the society. It changed the history of the world. It changed how we view God. Yes, I do believe that. I do believe 
Now, I'm, I'm glad to say not because of the money and not because they're still together years later and they're not hanging on by a thread anymore. What's in your basket that you can go? I've got some things. It's, it may not, it's only five loaves and two fish, but there's something in the basket. What is it in there? Maybe, maybe, it's, your, maybe it's your finances. Maybe your finances are barely holding on, but you have something. Let me, let me tell you the single greatest thing you can do with your finances. You ready for this? Learn to give to God. Learn to give to God. Some of you going, I can't afford to give to God. You can't afford not to give to God. You want to start with something in the basket, he's going to multiply it, but you got to put it in the basket. I almost thought about doing an offering today, and I said, we're going to pass the baskets out. We're going to see how many people, and I said, that would be manipulative. And that's not how we do things around here. The buckets are out there on the wall, and Alan stated earlier how you can text. But seriously, if you want God to bless your finances, Put something in the basket that he can pray over, that you can pray over, that he can multiply. And I can tell you, I'm looking at faces in, because I know a lot of your stories. Started out with nothing and started giving to God and God started pouring out his blessing. It's because you realized you had something in the basket. Somebody say amen to that. If you have something in your basket right now, say amen. It may not look like a lot, but you're going to pray over that thing and you're going to watch God multiply. How about that right there? That's what we should be doing. That's what the story, and it's the characteristic of the father. That's what's so powerful about this. This story isn't just a nebulous story. The I am's are just, just statements. They're characteristics of the father. So in your finances, can, can I just, can I, just for a second, put in the front of your mind what your it is. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever that it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's an addiction that you need somehow or another, you need God to break it. Maybe it's your marriages fall apart, and then you, but you're hanging on, by, but you're going you're, you're gonna to ask God to multiply that thing. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. Maybe it's a situation, you know, like a career or whatever. Whatever it is, what is it? Are you willing to put it in the basket today? Are you willing to pray over it and watch God do something miraculous? Let me give you the third thing, and we're going to close right here. He is and always will be a God of abundance. That's one of the things I love about this story. In verse 20, it says, they ate and all were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. They started out with five loaves. They ended up with a whole bunch. Now, I want everybody to understand and and. Maybe just put your phones down for your, in your Bibles. I'm not talking today about opulence. Can you hear me on this? I'm not talking about opulence. I'm not talking about, so back in the 70s and 80s, um, when I first started going to church, late 80s, there was a big movement in the church. We jokingly called it, it, it was called, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, okay? So like, I love everybody in this room. Everybody good with that? But it was called the prosperity movement. And it's still kind of, it's still trickling out through society. And it's like, God's going to pour out millions upon millions upon. God, I said this before. If you can't handle $5, you can't handle $5,000. You can't handle $500,000. God's not going to give you more if you can't handle what you have. So the whole theory is out the window. But there was this big thing where you blabbing and grabbing. You just blabbing and grabbing. I remember people like driving around in Pintos and they were blabbing it was a Mercedes Benz. And God was going to, they were going to wake up one morning. It was going to be right. It doesn't happen that way. I'm not talking about opulence, but what I am talking about is abundance. And abundance is different than opulence. 
See, abundance is I have more than I need. Hear me on this. I have more than I need. Opulence is I have more than I want. You know what I'm talking about? I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, and I want somebody else's that. But God says, I'm going to supply your needs according to his riches and glory, Scripture says. And opulent, or abundance means I'm going to give you a little bit more. And just so we're all clear, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about what's in our wallet. I'm not talking about God's going to put, you know, 220s. And, and it happens. I get it. There's times where you opened up your wallet and you didn't realize that was in there. And wow, God did a miracle. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about in real life that God will give you a marriage plus. Do you hear me on that? He'll bless that thing and he'll give you a marriage plus. You'll have abundance in your marriage. You'll have abundance with your kids. You'll have abundance in your relationships that fill your tank. Last, last Sunday was a really crazy busy day. And we've been going through a mother-in-law had a surgery and Gina and her sister's having to take care and back and forth. And Sunday nights are our dinner night. Like I, we value Sunday nights. It's a big deal. And so Gina had to go with her mom. And so I had a wedding at 4.30. And so Gina's like, we'll just cancel dinner. All right, cancel dinner. And my tank, you ever get like this, y'all? Seriously, my tank was empty. Like, I just wanted to go home and put a pair of sweatpants on and flip through the stations. My, my tank was empty. And Gina said, hey, I think the kids still want to do dinner with you. Cold. But they still want to do dinner with the old man. get home and the kids for the first time brought their food over. <laughs> we're starting, we're winning y'all. <laughs> we didn't have, but they brought everything over to me and they did everything. They made, they made dinner back porch, sitting there with candlelight. We sat there for two and a half or three hours. And I went to bed and I literally texted a couple of my friends. And I just said, my tank was empty. And now my tank is full. See, that's abundance right there. And God puts people in your life that you have an abundant life. Not just, you're not just making it through life. You, you have an abundant life. John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and they may have life more abundantly. I, I'm gonna give you two spiritual truths real quick. Here's, here's the first one. You don't have to spend all your life living in scarcity. It, it's not what the Father wants from us. You can have it in all those areas. You can claim John 10, 10 over it. You can, you can claim Ephesians chapter three. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You can claim that. And you can live. You don't have to live in scarcity. You don't have to live with just enough. The miracle of the 5,000 that were fed teaches us that. But here's the second thing. This is probably the most important thing we're gonna to hear today. Bread is and was a sign of security and provision, and it still is. 
So I grew up in what I thought was an Italian family. Anybody else? A guy came to me afterwards. I, I said, I, I thought I was Italian. I know Smith gives it away that I'm not, but but my, 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 my grandparents' names are Santa, were Santa Tora. That's Italian. Well, we did one of those family trees straight up and down things. And it came that we were like, I don't know, like Norwegian or something. I don't know what we are. Heinz 57. But nonetheless, I grew up in a household that maybe some of bread was always on the table. There was always bread on. I know not lots of nationality. Bread is always a part. And even, even when we didn't have very much, there was always bread. Even when we didn't have a lot of money, there was bread. And it was almost a sign of security. Little did I know it, that it was actually studies done at the end of World War II. And when the Allied forces were about to uh, cleaning up the mess of World War II and they were taking the orphans that were out there because their parents had gotten bombed and, you know, and, and killed and they were putting them in, in places and they were feeding them good meals and taking care of them. And, and, they were, and they were literally trying to do some right in the midst of all this wrong. They found out that the kids, because of all that was going on and the loss of the security, that they wouldn't sleep at night. Now, they were fed fine, they were clothed fine, their health was fine, but they wouldn't sleep at night. And a psychologist came to the idea, so let's, every night when they go to bed, let's give them a piece of bread. And all of a sudden they started realizing that these kids would sleep all through the night because of that. They couldn't eat it, they could just hold it. And what they realized talking to these kids is they realized that the next morning they were gonna wake up and they were gonna have something. They were gonna have sustenance. They were gonna have a little bit of bread. They were gonna have somebody that cared for them and loved them. And by the way, that's what Jesus is to us, the bread of life. And that's why when we do communion together, there's a scripture that says, do this in remembrance of me. It's reminded of the characteristics of God. And one of the characteristics is, it's a God that still provides and gives us security in the midst of all the problems. Amen. So when you walked in, you received this. And what we believe is that these are just representations of the body and the blood of Jesus. When Jesus broke bread, when he was with his disciples, he said, do this and remember to me. But he gave it to a mandate that when you do this, like you're gonna do this and you do this to remind yourself of who he is. So this is what I wanna do. So we're not distracted. I want everybody to open it up and pull out the wafer. And then I want you to open it up and have the juice ready. And once you get to that point, I want you to shut your eyes for a second. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to pray over this. And then we're going to close the service out. Heavenly Father, we're here at this moment where we're reminded of the story. And this story reminds us that you're a God of compassion, that you're a God of miracles, and you're a God of abundance. And so I have to believe when you said to the disciples, the original that were hanging out with you, when you broke that bread, that you were reminding those, the same, those, those people the same thing, that, that you were a God of compassion, that you were a God that was going to perform miracles, and they'd seen those, and that you were a God of abundance. So I don't know what we're going through. I don't know what every person in this room is going through. But today, as we think about the wafer that we're going to take, that reminds us of the blood, I mean, the, the, the body of Jesus, the broken body, the, the beaten body, the, the marred body, when we were reminded God, remind us of those things that kept compassion, and miracles, and abundance. I don't know where we need those. I don't know where everyone fits into that, God, but I know that you're a God. You're a God that can reach 
into all three of those situations. People that need compassion. Maybe they feel far from you. and They need another love today. Maybe they need a miracle in their life, sickness or addiction. Maybe they need abundance. Maybe they need to see how you walk, work, and operate. So God, as we take this wafer right now, in Jesus' name, remind us of those things. And God, as we lift up this cup that reminds us of the blood that was sacrificed, that reminds us of the, uh, the old song, that there's nothing, there's nothing but the blood. That what can wash away every one of my sins, every one of my problems, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So today we're reminded of that and how it brings a great healing. In Jesus' name, we take this cup. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're going to do as we learn more about you in the coming days. We thank you for your word. But most of all, we thank you for your son that died on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextstepsjourneycommunity.net.